Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our topic this week, college athletics and the unique situation that college athletics finds itself in due to the name, image, and likeness problems, the transfer portal, conference realignment, Title IX, all these sorts of things, and, of course, mainly the demand of the fans of each individual school, and everybody is guilty, everybody is guilty of wanting to win, and everybody can't win. It's just, you know, if you're going to play 100 games, there's going to be 100 winners and 100 losers. Uh, And uh, so everybody is trying to use money to assure that they will be in the group that wins more than they lose. And uh, uh, it's not a zero-based game. It's uh, somebody's got to lose. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, the effect that transfer portal has now, because with the name, image, and likeness money that's out there, you've got a group of people called collectives who are not theoretically connected with the school. They're fans and boosters of that school raising money. And all the schools are doing it. There's, right. there's, there's nobody that I know of is not raising some. Uh, and so they then negotiate with these students to go to a particular school. And theoretically, there's no connection or no coordination with the uh, with the coaching staff. I, I don't know how that can happen. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, they know what the, their football team needs. Uh, if you need a quarterback, that's what you're out in your collective, you know, looking for quarterbacks, looking to transfer. Uh, and uh, again, it's it's the NCAA throwing up their hands early in the process and and leaving this huge void for high dollar boosters of of university athletic programs to put together, whether it's collectives or whatever type of legal entity that skirts around the whole idea of, you know, letting letting athletes benefit from their name, image, likeness. And they're now using it as sort of blatant incentives and inducements to uh, transfer, and in some cases, I'm sure uh, for recruits, you know, who would be freshmen on campus, but but there's a lot of it, obviously, in the transfer portal. And, you know, I, I think that some of the collectives are creative. I know what, I think State has one that they do charitable work. Well, you know, I'm all for that. But, you know, the, the, the idea was, uh, you know, for college athletes to be able to benefit from their name, image, likeness, not create an industry for buying and selling and trading athletes to jump from one school to the other. And of course, you're seeing college athletes now on television commercials, which uh, they negotiate. Uh, and uh, I had a, a well-known coach tell me that he spends now more time talking to agents than he does to parents. And that's legal. Yeah. I mean, it's legal. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I would have to say one of my complaints 10 years ago, when 12 years ago, when I first sort of got in all of this, um, was an athlete couldn't have an agent. And it's like, you know, as a lawyer, I think you're entitled to a lawyer. You're entitled to somebody to look out for your your best interest. But, you know, now they've just expanded it again so that it's wide open. And, 
you know, one of the reasons you see these young men opting out of bowl games uh, is because their agents are saying, you know, you're, you know, I've got a $20 million contract here if you're drafted in the top, top 10. And uh, if you get hurt, that's gone. You know, it's crazy to risk, risk the money here. And one, the one point I want to make about the portal and the system is, I think, Don, when we were going to school, we went to Chapel Hill or other people went to state or East Carolina because that's where we wanted to go to school. It wasn't about playing necessarily playing a sport. Now I think probably 75% of athletes make their college decision based upon sports and not because they necessarily want to be the University of North Carolina. Now you may see a kid like um, uh, Drake May, whose family obviously has close ties to Carolina, do that. But you know, I, I will on a personal note, my my oldest granddaughter is a very good high school soccer player, and she's accepted a financial package from a D three school in Pennsylvania to play soccer. And it's a fine school, but it, it was sort of out of left field that she made the decision to go there and she's going there because she's having an opportunity to play soccer as opposed to saying, gee, this is really where I wanted to go to school ever since I was in, in grade school. And so if, if you don't have that tie to the university or the college, it's easy if you're not getting playing time or you don't like the coaches or the coaches uh, move to another job to say, all right, I'm out of here. You know, and I, I, I think, I mean, I'd love to go back to the old days where most of the students picked their colleges and universities because that's where they wanted to go to school and, and where they wanted to be, not because of sports. And, of course, part of the transfer portal is probably good because coaches uh, in recruiting do make mistakes. They uh, see an athlete, and when he gets on campus, he turns out that he's not as good as perhaps they thought he or she were. Uh, we're going to be. And so this gives them a chance to go to a, maybe another school where they um, are not probably as competitive or go down to a Division two or Division three school and still play sports. And so part of the transfer portal concept, I think, is, is healthy. Unfortunately, it's gotten mixed in with the collectives. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's not because... I I want an opportunity to play, but, you know, I want an opportunity to play, but most importantly, I'm going to get $250,000 to do it. And if that's not an employee-employer situation, I really don't know what it is. And that's, I know that's sort of an anathema to college sports fans to, to say we've got to go ahead and recognize that at least in the revenue sports and maybe in a lot of these uh, it's an employer-employee relationship, and you can um, you can negotiate. You know, you you have contracts. You have people representing each side uh, or or each group, and uh, you know we we hate to see that happening. But I mean, that's really where we are. You have alluded to several times where. Uh, several people, uh, in many cases, it's the institution or NCA saying Congress is the solution. Uh, as you put it out, Congress has trouble balancing the budget. And yeah. 
even keeping the government working. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that I don't this uh, that I don't uh, totally agree with you that that's about the last person I, or institution I want to settle this situation. But what kind of legislation could they consider? Well, they're talking about giving the uh, the NCAA an antitrust exemption because most of the litigation has involved some sort of antitrust. And I don't purport to be an expert on antitrust, Don, but but uh, you know, the, it's the, the way Congress works is just totally unrealistic. And and my question is, well, would four hundred and thirty-five House members and a hundred senators do a better job of solving this problem than a thousand highly educated presidents uh, and chancellors of universities? Uh, it, it's it's having the will to do it that is lacking. Uh, and you know, I mean, I uh, I, I just I just think it's ill-conceived to to say that Congress, by passing laws, it's kind of like the NCAA passing rules. We're going to solve cheating in sports by passing, you know, a 400-page rule book and then hiring 10 guys and ladies to, to enforce those rules. It's just not going to work. So whatever legislation they put through, uh, I, I think you would, you would find minimal success in and, you know, and we'll just keep fighting in court and uh, the like. So uh, I, I, I'm a big I wish Bill Friday was still around and he could uh, lead a national uh, movement on behalf of college sports to get get leaders in the academic fields uh, to come together to bring some sanity to what is now uh, a chaotic situation. At one point in time, the NCAA did try to enforce the SAF sizes. And, of course, some of the staffs now, I think, the, uh, as I understand, the average size of a football staff at uh, most of the major universities is around 60 people. You've yeah. got 85 people on scholarship, and you got 60 people coaching. <laughs> All of them are making a lot of money. <laughs> and it just seems like there's almost one to a person. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And and Don, I know we're we're sort of moving towards the uh, close of uh, our our talk here, but I want to put a pitch in for a book that you may be familiar with. It's called The Cloud Buster Nine. Uh, the authors are Miss Keen K E E N E uh, and Miss Williams, who are the uh, she's the daughter of Ted Williams, uh, and it's about the Navy pre-flight efforts at UNC during uh, World War II and all of the uh, uh, people who came through Chapel Hill to serve, getting ready to go off into serve, serving the military during the war and about the baseball teams, you know, Ted Williams playing baseball in Emerson Field and hitting home runs over Lenore Hall. It's just, a, it's it's a really interesting read if you're interested in uh, history and the Navy and World War II and baseball and UNC. It it it's a uh, uh, really fascinating uh, book. You know, one of the I, I, someone gave me that book at Christmas. I have not started reading it, but I, I, I this is a, another inducement to me to uh, get on that. But I, I've heard a number of people talk about it being interesting. You know, uh, there is precedent at the universities for athletes to become employees in the fact that graduate students are uh, employees because they teach. 
Sure. Uh, do you think this is one of the things that might happen at some point in time that athletes may actually just become employees of the university or I, the, I, of the schools? Yeah, I, I think as, as distasteful as it sounds, it's the most practical solution. Uh, and it's moving towards a professional sports model in that the employees would have an organization that negotiates with the university about work conditions, uh, health insurance, coverage of, of injuries and the like. Uh, and so it, it's a way to put some limitation. I mean, they have salary caps in the pros, but essentially we have no salary caps in college sports which is a a hugely inconsistent uh, circumstance. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the the model's there. It's just that the NCAA has been so wedded to amateurism and insisting since the days of Walter Byers that that the athletes are really students first, uh, and therefore they can't be employees. Uh, And I, I think that... That horse is out of the barn, and eventually that's where we're going to have to go. I remember having a conversation with uh, President Friday, and he he used that. He said, uh, Don, we got to put the horse back in the barn. And my comment, uh, this was shortly before he died, I said, uh, President Friday, with all due respect, we should have listened to you earlier. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the house, the horse is out of the barn, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and it's impossible to put toothpaste back into a tube. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the problem. Yeah. Well, we've got one final segment. And in that final segment, I do want to talk about uh, uh, the future, as you see it, of the NCAA, uh, some additional solutions of perhaps things that we haven't talked about. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing I want to ask you is, where is all this money coming from? Because I, uh, there's a tremendous amount of money that's just suddenly surfacing from all over the place. I, I, I'm i not sure I understand where it's all coming from. Our conversation is with uh, uh, former Supreme Court Justice Robert Orr, and we're talking about college athletics, of which he has become an expert and a, a recognized voice that everyone listens to these days. We'll be back right after these messages. You stay tuned. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous, as in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is former North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Robert Orr, who has now become more famous for his work and uh, his representation of college athletes in their dealings with the NCAA, and has become sort of an expert on the transfer portal, and the name, image, and likeness problem, the collectives, uh, Title IX, and conference realignment. Uh, where where is it all going to end, and and uh, what's your forecast? It, the the thing that kind of bothers me, and I, I would like for you to respond to this, is it looks like to me there's about forty or fifty schools in the country that can afford all this. So do we get down to a, a very small group of schools that are in one division, and then there's a, 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 we create another division for the rest of the schools? Is that a possibility? Well, you. You already have D1, D2, D3, so you've got some level of competition uh, for it. I think that the models that I keep seeing sports experts talk about is somewhat like the, the NFL model where you have two major entities, in this case, the Southeast Conference and call it the Big Ten or whatever, the Big whatever, and and then within those 30-team, 30-school uh, conferences, they're divided up on on geographical basis, which is sort of like the conference structure we have, but but it's it's run essentially like the NFL. Now, do they do that only for football and maybe basketball? Um, I don't know that that again the the decision would have to be made that we're going to treat the revenue sports differently from from non-revenue sports uh and then what happens to the concept of traditional conferences you know certainly i think your d2 d3 schools will continue to maintain kind of a traditional uh, uh maintain a traditional conference concept but it looks like the power five schools of which the schools we care about here in North Carolina are part of, um, you know, are, are going to be you know, sort of cut loose from the traditional Atlantic coast conference. I mean, I, I love the concept of the Atlantic coast conference. And so uh, the, the thought of UNC or state coming part of the Southeastern conference and then, put in some sort of geographical subdivision, you know, to play just, you know, it's not, not what I want to see, but that's where everybody says we're headed unless, you know, the, the schools themselves can extricate themselves from this mess. And I just have not seen uh, the leadership or, or willingness to make some really, really hard hard decisions. And, um, uh, you know what? A lot of fans are confused about the quality of a, a school's football or basketball program when indeed it's all about television markets. For example, uh, Clemson has a very good football program, won some national championships right. and all that sort of thing, but they're in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and the television markets <clears throat> are not that big. Whereas uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, for example, are in North Carolina, the ninth largest state in the union and a big television market. 
And yeah, so and the, course, the conference realignment it has more to do with population and fan base than it does with uh, the the quality of the, the athletic programs. Well, it, it it does, but the media but the the media market is what entices the the networks uh, and the streaming services, whatever, to pour money into schools within that that media market. Uh, but you're still not going to, I mean, as, as you noted before, East Carolina, App State, UNC Charlotte, um, you know, they're not going to um, benefit even, you know, even though they're in good television markets, you know, they're having to compete against the major power five schools. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I think between litigation a failure to get any solution that actually works out of the Congress. Uh, you know, we're headed down this path where money continues to drive all of the decision-making and ultimately you may see some schools. I mean, what does Wake Forest, what Wake Forest and Duke do? If, you know, if the other schools, you know, in, in the natural rivalry group, you know, split off. Uh, I mean, I think that hurts, that hurts everything. Even if we play them in basketball as a Southeast conference versus whatever conference they may be in, uh, it's, it's just not going to be the same. Yeah. The, the traditional rivalries, uh, are all at, at risk. Uh, and, and of course you also got some rivalries Whereas I, I I understand that Florida is not really excited about Florida State joining the SEC if they ever join because it, all of a sudden it, it takes away some of their their glamour and uh, so there, there's so much going on that it's it's really hard to sort of forecast what's what's going to end up happening. The other thing I was going to ask you about these collectives, of course, are not governed uh, by the schools or the NCAA. What happens if a collective promises a player five or six hundred thousand uh, dollars, but it's one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year? And what happens if the collective fails to raise the money? Does the student that uh, signed on do they have a contract? Do they have any security at all? Well, I, I, I sure hope they have contracts, and I hope they have legal representation before they go signing any agreements with these these collectives. And it, it's you know, it's sort of a, a sad context that 17 year olds, you know, need to go out and be hiring, uh, you know, high price lawyers to negotiate these deals. And, and I'm hearing now that it's, it's trickling down into elite, uh, high school players. Yes. I hear that yeah. too. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's a system that is completely out of control. No one quite knows how to, how to get, even a, a a decent handle on it, and we live in a capitalistic free market society. So it's like you know you can't just unilaterally put restraints on it. Uh, and it, it ultimately, I think, and I come back to this point probably a dozen times in our conversation. It really comes down to university leadership. You know that you got to say this is the model we want for our school. And it's in the best interest of our school and the best interest of our students. And if, if we don't make as much money as the people down the road, so be it. This is what we've chosen 
for our institution. And, and, you know, then hopefully you have a number of leaders at universities. I mean, can you tell me that the presidents of Duke, Wake, UNC, State, uh, UVA, you know, can't sit down and come up with a model that we all, you know, a sports model for their students that that we enjoy and and get fired up about, but aren't part of some insane money race. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, I just have to believe that they have the capacity to do it. They just have to have the willingness to do it. And so, and fans like us have to have the the willingness to support them in this effort. Uh, if if the people who support the university don't want that, if if the powers that be that love UNC and NC State feel like it's all about competing for the national title in football uh, or the Final Four in basketball, then you know the chancellor's hands are. Uh, essentially tied. So there's a responsibility on uh, on fans and alumni to say, this is the model we want for our university. Now let's go get it get it done. You alluded earlier to the fact that there will probably be two major, major conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. What does that say to the future of the NCAA as an organization? Well, I think there are those that would like to see college football, that entity, which is essentially a separate financial entity now, um, just cut ties with the NCAA, and the NCAA becomes uh, an organization that runs championships and, um, you know, is sort of a clearinghouse for general athletics across the campus and across a variety of, of schools. And, uh and then there's some that say if the NCA keeps on its current path, it's just going to blow up. It will be no longer a functional uh, organization, and the schools are going to either have to start from scratch uh, or, or figure something out purely along conference lines. And, you know, there's some uh, folks that think, okay, well, let conference conferences govern the schools and the conference. Now, does that mean Alabama might have – a competitive advantage against us? Yes, but they've got it already under the present system. So, uh, uh, so maybe we see the NCAA just fade away, and and the conferences become, you know, the the administrative bodies for athletics for the universities. And as you have pointed out numerous times, there's a big difference between the the major revenue sports of basketball and football and the rest of the athletic programs, although some of these problems carry over uh, into the other sports as well. Uh, it's, uh, it is a complicated mess. Bob, how long do you think it's going to be before we have some solutions to this? Is this a three-year problem, a five-year problem? You know, I hate to be a pessimist, Don. It's uh, easy to be yeah, one. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I look at the problems that our country has, it's like surely we can come up with some loose solutions for our country uh and you know when we're talking about athletics now college athletics I, you know i think there will be band-aid approaches um and and efforts by the powers that be to try and you know put some sort of limits on all of this 
But, you know, people, if they don't like those limits, they're going to go to court and they may have a good leg to stand on. So there go there go your your limitations. I, I'm not very optimistic that that we're going to see any significant changes uh, in my lifetime. Anyway, uh, it's uh, it, it's pretty discouraging. Although college sports is flourishing, yeah, you know? I mean, people are still. And I'm I'm in that group. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's a complicated situation. Bob Orr, uh, I so much appreciate your insights and all this. You are so uh, so knowledgeable and have had so much experience. It's great to share this with our listeners. Our, our, uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Or if you'd like to share it with a friend, and I would imagine there are a lot of you that are sports fans that will be doing that. Again, it's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me he'll have another interesting guest next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. The next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.